right. Okay, so um, so we're talking about the Trinity tonight. How many did any of you watch Lost? Okay. Um, we actually just watched it like two years ago. We didn't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I know it does, Davey. So my experience of watching Lost uh, is about these people that land on this island and there's a lot of mysterious stuff going on. Is even at the end, you don't know exactly what happened. Like what you just committed the last six years of your life to. And, uh, and I, I feel like it's similar with the Trinity. Like um, even as we look at it tonight, we're going to figure some things out, but there's there's still going to be some mystery, especially as you kind of like press on some pieces of what we're talking about. Uh, as you apply pressure, you realize, okay, well then, how does that make sense of this? And, and so there's more mysteries kind of like at the end of Lost. If you haven't watched Lost, maybe talk to your parents about it. Uh, okay, take, check out this first first quote here. It's This is a really technical quote. I'll, I'll explain it the rest of it it won't be quite as technical as this but i think this is it's well said even though it's a little technical so the ecclesiastical so the church doctrine of the trinity established by the dogma or teaching of the ancient church is not a biblical kerygma so that word means proclamation and when we use it in theology what we basically are talking about is is like the most important things when we say kerygma or the most important teaching. So this is saying this is not a biblical teaching, and therefore it's not a central teaching of the church, but it's a theological doctrine which defends the central faith of the Bible and of the church. And that's a little complicated. Basically what they're saying, and we'll get to this, is that Trinity is not a biblical word, but it arises from the study of the Bible in an attempt to make sense of what we find there. And so the early church was looking for a word to make sense of what they were reading in various passages in the Bible, and they came up with this word, Trinity. And along with that word, there's kind of a whole, in some ways, field of theology that surrounds that one word or idea. So we won't flesh it all out tonight. But it's it's kind of, it's worth pointing out that the idea itself um, the term itself is not biblical, but we would say the idea is. And that without this idea, it's really difficult to make sense of a lot that's in the Bible. Okay, and a lot that the church believes. And um, so hopefully I've, I've said that clear enough. I'm not sure if I did. But like I said, the term isn't biblical, but look at those first two passages. You can certainly see this idea of three persons that we would call God, so the Father, Son, and Spirit present in scripture so Matthew 28 19 therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 2 Corinthians 3 14 may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all that's the the most classic text as it relates to defining the function or the nature of the Trinity is that 2 Corinthians 13 14 so it's texts like those that lead early thinkers to try to make sense of that and they come up with this idea of the trinity question questions no? i left that, all that off the sheet so. okay oh you're not i read you weren't even looking at it. oh i'm sorry all right i thought you were looking at that um all right wait isn't it right there oh that's no no that's sheet. my sheet okay great thanks okay i just oh man i feel so no, no, no. It's all good. Every for the record, for the podcast listeners, I'm going to throw Kyle under the bus on that. 
Okay, no, I should have looked at that. Okay. All right. So in the in the idea of the triune, so that's the adjectival version of Trinity, triune. I'm not an English teacher, but I think that's right. In the triune God, we find foundation for meaning and purpose in our life. Or in the triune God, we find our purpose. So think about it like this. Genesis 1.27 says we're made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, I, I taught on it last year, and I, I still don't have a great answer. But this is this is like the experience of preaching. You you preach on it, and then you're like, "What'd y'all hear?" And they're like, "Did you talk about that?" You know, the great thing is like stories. You can usually tell them like six months later, and nobody remembers. So, uh, I think that rental car story is gonna make it. It's got some, yeah, it's got legs on it for sure. It's got legs. You need to call uh, them and ask them if they fired him. Yeah. <laughs> they promised me they did, which I wasn't like trying to get them fired. But I was like, because there was a real complication with reimbursing me. And they're like, I'm like, you're not making this right. And they're like, well, we fired him. And I'm like, that, that, that doesn't make right for me. <laughs> so it's been, a big, it's been a big thing. Okay. All right. Um, so what, what that means is that our nature is defined by God's nature. Okay, our, our identity is defined by who God is. So from, you, you've got these little lines there, and there may be blanks here, right? Yep. So God's nature gives humans their identity, identity or meaning And from our identity comes our purpose, human purpose. So God's nature gives us human identity from which we get our purpose. Um, or, to, or to go back to English for a second, to English class, and I'm gonna try to make this clear in this next passage in Colossians 3. Do you all have Colossians 3 in front of you next after that? No? Okay, I can read it out loud. Or, so, or I can pull it up. Um, so for the next, the next blanks here, another way to put this is from the indicative flows the imperative. Ooh, isn't that good? From the indicative flows the imperative. And so, um, if you, if, so if you've got your phone or something, you want to pull this up, you can. This is Colossians 3. I'll abbreviate it a little bit. We'll jump around a little bit. Nope, I don't. Nope, I've got it right here. I'm looking at it. So uh, Colossians 3 starts with this in verse 1. Since, or if, but it's probably since, or therefore is really what it is. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Okay, so... Again, the indicative is you've been raised with Christ. Okay, that's your identity. So the imperative, set your heart on things above. Okay, who you are shapes what you do. For you, di you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, which is a really beautiful image that our lives are like caught up in Christ, who is caught up in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So, so, so you are, you're and appear with Christ in glory. So, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, dot, dot, dot. Go to verse 9. Don't lie to each other, 
Why? Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Uh, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility. Okay, so and you, you can read on. I mean, this passage is laced with that idea that it's who you are that shapes what you do. And if you take a step back there, so what you do, who you are, right before that is who God is, because we are made in God's image. So from God's nature, we get our nature or our identity, and from our identity comes our purpose or what we do. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's why it's important to think about who God is. How are we doing on time here? Okay. Um, so what's the Trinity? Is that your next section? What's the Trinity? So the faith of the early Christians required that they bring together three ideas that can seem contradictory or at least in competition with each other. And the first was their heritage of monotheism, which is the belief in one God. So before we were Christians, we were Jews, right? And what's central to the Jewish belief system is that there's only one God, and that's what separated Jews from the tribes and people groups around them at the time and today is that they believe in one God, just one. So you don't need to sacrifice to Bob, you know, another sacrifice to Larry. There's just one God. That's Veggie Tales. That was a weird way to pronounce Baal. I was like, is that is that, is that the, yeah, that's the uh, that's Bob. the Hebrew for yeah. Baal is Bob actually. So, so that's the first thing that they were trying to they were trying to hold that the heritage of monotheism, one God. But secondly, the confession that Jesus is Lord or the lordship of Jesus, and uh, because in the the Hebrew Bible or in the Hebrew Hebrew confession of faith, God is Lord, and of course in the Gospels, what we find is that Jesus is Lord. So how do you hold how do you hold both those things? And thirdly, and we really see this take off starting in Acts, is their experience of the Holy Spirit, or the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, at Pentecost, when this Holy Spirit comes on everybody and they start speaking in tongues, okay, they're, they're, they're trying to explain why they have this godly power that they shouldn't have. Okay, that, that's, Jesus isn't around now that they can see. Uh, and so how do they explain this? Where the concept comes from, so it's really it's emerging in those first couple hundred years of the church through a lot of conversations and writing from various people. This guy named Tertullian, Tertullian, was the first one to use the word Trinity. And uh, so there's a whole, um, we could talk for a really long time about the history of the Trinity and how that, that idea gets solidified. And in short, like people died because of it. <laughs> Because they, they, didn't, they didn't think right. And so, you know, um, it took us a while to get to the right. People were labeled heretics. And, and actually, the, you know, you have the Eastern Orthodox Church. Have you ever heard of Eastern Orthodox Church? Anna's certainly super familiar because it's really big uh, in Russia and Ukraine, those places. And um, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church split around 1,000 over an issue related to the Trinity. And so, you know, this, this topic has been debated many times. So I'm going to present, okay, the one right view of the Trinity. 
No, but okay. So what it came down to in terms of all the debates was what it, what it ultimately centered on was two Greek words, ousia and hypostasis. So ousia is essence, and the hypostasis is the center of consciousness or personhood. And so those are, those are Greek words that are used to define other things. Here's what you need to know about that, and I think this is in your, your blanks. What they decided was that the Trinity, or God, has one essence, one ousia, but three hypostasis-i, stasis, stasis or something, right? Stasis, there you go, all right. So God has one essence, but three centers of consciousness, or three persons in that one essence. Okay, so at this point, what, what people often do is like try to think of metaphors to help us understand that. What, like, what, has anybody ever heard a metaphor to try to make sense of the um, Trinity? What? The egg. The egg, yeah, explain it. It's like an egg is one thing, but it's made up of the three parts of the shell, the white stuff and the yolk. Yeah, right? exactly, right. Or like a Milky Way. Or like a Milky Way, yeah, yeah. Um, or like an apple, I've heard, you know, you've got like the skin and the apple part in the core. <laughs> what, what do you call it? The flesh? The, you know, the meat? Is it the meat of an apple? I don't know. That's, uh, so that one's used. Or, or water has been used. Have you heard of water before? That it's yeah. ice, steam. steam, and then just liquid water. And so all of those can be helpful because you can see that they have like one essence, they're one thing, but maybe there's three parts going on there to some degree. Or like the fidget spinner has been used before that there's three prongs on it, but they're, they're one thing and they're moving in unison together. So all of them maybe help to a degree, but what, what most theologians say is that like once you latch onto a metaphor, it quickly, like it has limitations. And actually they can, like if you push them far enough, they're heretical, right? Like, and so there's, there's problems with each of them, and so I don't know. If any of those help you, you can latch on to them. If not, just let them go. Okay, so this is the nice. Do you have the Nicene Creed in front of y'all? Did I? I had to cut out the big stuff. You had to cut the big stuff out. Understandable. So, okay. So, like, you don't, so there's this thing called the Nicene Creed. I'll read the beginning of it to you. This is how it, the, the idea of the Trinity gets um, solidified. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, visible and invisible. So how many gods are there? One God. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, God of God, so he's also God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, so that's that uh, usia word, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. Um, later it says, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. So there's that word Lord, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, uh, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and it goes on. Okay. So if you want to look that up sometime, you can. That's exciting to you. I think I think it's a it's an important creed, um, but it's in some ways it's just confusing a little bit, right? Okay. Uh, questions so far. There's you know there's a couple songs in the last ten years. There's one the Hillsong does that's called I think the Creed, mm -hmm. and there's the uh, Newsboys one that's like we believe. Yeah. It's like basically a restating of these things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of cool yeah um, 
I, I, I'm drawn to those songs. Like, I like the way that it, it feels like very, like, um, firm. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe that's, you know, like, this feels, like, so specific. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference in the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed is, but I think there's, like, some slight differences between mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. verbiage. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. obviously, these are, like, huge deals for the, you know, the classical church. And yeah. I mean, it's super important, you know, the process of coming to this, you know, it took hundreds of years for us to get to these words. And um, I come from a tradition that we is non-creedal. Creeds don't play a big part in who we are, but I actually think creeds are pretty important in terms of shaping how we read Scripture. And I, I think this one is very good, but if you're, if you're going to the creed to try to understand the Trinity fully, it just can't, can't quite get you there. So... Uh, it does provide helpful language. There's a big deal about begotten versus um, proceeding from. The, the Jesus is begotten of God, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from God. What split the Eastern Orthodox and the Russian Church was that they added and from the Son. That's called the filioque, if you ever heard that word. And so the Catholics wanted to ins- insist that Jesus is also God, and so the Holy Spirit doesn't come just from God. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and God. And when they added that, the Eastern Church accused them of heresy, and they, they split. Isn't that crazy? Um, but um, that's a great question. <laughs> Are you saying then the Eastern Orthodox was not equating Jesus with God? That's what it just sounded like you said. No, it's, it's, it's more about... It, it, the Eastern Orthodox Church does probably have a slightly different view of the Trinity than the Western Church, um, but I, you know, my understanding would be they would still consider Jesus God. It's more about the specific roles of God and Jesus in the Spirit, and that. Okay, so this is where it gets like you start thinking about it, and it's having that experience of watching the end of Lost, right? That <laughs> it, there's there's some things God does that Jesus does not do. There's some things Jesus does that God does not do. There's some things the Spirit does that neither of them do, and yet they're still one. Okay, and so their their real pushback was that um, God is the one who begets the the Son and the Spirit, but that is not a job of Jesus. Does that make sense? But that they're still think Jesus is God, so that's that's why it's really challenging. So. I may not say so this super God's clearly. God's role in the Trinity is a little more supreme, or are they all equal? It sounds like. <laughs> no, answer it. I, I would love for you to answer well, it, it, Anna. Sounds like, sorry, go ahead. Please. No, well, it's, it's like with the picture of water, like ice can't get to steam without going through like water for. It's almost like, like the order of how they came from, you know, or whatever. So the Holy Spirit came from God, not from. The person of Jesus, who is also God, if that makes sense. Like, well, when we're saying God, we're saying God the Father. So it's not saying that there's God, then right. there's Jesus. Right. No, no, you no, know, they, yeah. right. Just, just right. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's more precise language. That's that's we need to shift to that and talk about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because um, anytime we're using any, any one of those, we're talking about God. Yeah. Right. But we tend to just say God. We're referring to God the Father. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. Right. I hope this isn't like too semantical, but if the Spirit comes from God, is the Spirit not eternal? No, the Spirit is eternal. <laughs> so that, <laughs> so begetting is so. What's so? What does begetting mean, Ryan? 
Yeah, big, <laughs> so <laughs> repeat the question. Yeah, soon enough, you know. Uh, so the the challenge there is we th we think of begetting and uh, and like a child. Uh, well, it's not child rearing, like child making. Uh, you know, it's like it has sexual connotations, which means to beget you would have to proceed. And that uh, does that make sense? So like I'm older than my son, right? And um, I, you know, this is one of those places where you, because what do we say about Jesus? He's begotten of the Father. He's only his only begotten Son, right? In that language, and so. That's the challenge. So as as the the church is developing this, it's passages like that that do prove really challenging to the concept of the Trinity. Because as you'll see, and this is one of the things we're going to play out that's going to play out here, that each God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one thing. And so there there is you know um, separation is not the right word, distinction. Okay, and they're also, each of those is also a unity with the others. And so begotten, um, I'm really not answering that question well, because it's a, it's a really hard question to answer. Like, there's a degree to which you're talking about like hundreds of years of history with that question and how we've parsed that word. I, I, I may not be parsing it really well for you. How can I say that more clearly? Would it basically be like the inheritance, but without the birth concept. So I think that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that like basically God's, you know, like so say if a king passes on his righteousness mm -hmm. to his son, mm -hmm. but without they're actually needing a, a birth. Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. And so like if you look at, like if you look at before the creation, so it's interesting because if you, if we read about um, Jesus who it says that Jesus created all things, yet was not created himself. I would say it would be the same argument mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Same, and That's I, right. I love Genesis one twenty seven, where it's just talking about like we. It, it was talking about the uh, the plural. What is it? The plural singular. Mm -hmm. um, in this discussion, it's like, well, who is we? Like, are we made in the image? Was he talking about angels? Mm -hmm. No, he was talking about God. And so it's like, well, who who was God? It wasn't just this single, uh, it was this single entity, but not a single person in that creation. Yeah, and so that's good. That's what I just get back to. He's just referring to this we. And I think it's still just hard. With it's hard. Spirit. I feel like yeah. it's easier with. Jesus. It does feel easier with Jesus. So part of the, the challenge, and this, Cal and Anna have heard me talk about this several times recently, and, it, and increasingly I think this is a, a more significant issue that we need to give more attention to. Well, many people have. It's just that it's not common that we give attention to it in the church. Is the issue of time and the, God's relationship to time versus our relationship to time. And so the... Uh, maybe the way to say this is that God the Father has always been begetting Jesus or begetting Christ, God the Son, and always been begetting the Holy Spirit. And um, of course, we experience Jesus in a moment in human history, which is to say that Jesus is not eternal, but Christ is. Does that make sense? Okay. Right, because the yeah, the, yeah, okay. So, um, 
maybe that just opened up a bigger can of worms than helped. That's how I think about begetting. He's always been begetting Jesus and always been begetting Christ. There wasn't a moment when he they were not, if that makes sense. And that's what this creed is trying to point out. Uh, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father from whom all things were made. So he's not a creature. He's not created. Jesus, Spirit. See, it's like Lost. We can't. We can't get there. If you haven't watched Lost yet, it's really good. I think. I'm really not sure. Uh, okay, what does the Bible teach about the nature of God? So we'll we'll cruise through this because I think the most important thing is what does this have to do with my life? So there's one God. So Deuteronomy six four, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James two nineteen. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so let's talk about the Father. The Father is a distinct person. Uh, do y'all have these verses in front of you? Are you looking at Okay, great. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he'll be in you. So Jesus is asking God something, right? So the Father is distinct. And yet the Father is God. That's the fundamental testimony of the Old Testament, certainly. Psalm 89, 26. He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. Let's talk about the Son. The Son is a distinct person. John 17. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hours come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So we each have something to do. Right? We're separate, in that, not separate, distinct in that regard. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. But the Son is also God. Colossians 1, 15, 19. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, for him, uh, through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Um, so in some, there is a degree to which like reading John 17 and Colossians 1 back to back seems challenging, right? Because, um, you know, in one you have Jesus requesting that God will do some stuff. And in Colossians, that's in John, and then in Colossians, Jesus is the one doing all the stuff. Right? You see that that's the, that's the challenge? Okay. I'm not going to solve that. I'm just going to point out that challenge. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the Spirit. The Spirit is a distinct person. So, John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit's also God. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Right? So in verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, you lied to God. Um... So let's go to this idea of the coherence of the Trinity. Is that your next section? There. All right. Okay. So um, I think that we, um, like the metaphysics of how the Holy the Trinity works, get pretty complicated. You know, particularly as it relates to time getting and proceeding from or if you think about like who's the boss who's you know the middle management and who's the you know the work would be or something like if you think about it like that I think that's problematic too and so here's where I think that these are like the four commitments of the Trinity that I think are most important I think this is one of those things that right now we see is through a glass darkly but one day we'll see face to face and I mean, that's the thing about the, the Trinity is that it is the best explanation we have of the character and nature of God, but it does not explain everything. And, um, and so to that degree, there's still mystery surrounding the person of God. And that is a very consistent biblical theme, that there is mystery and will be mystery until we see face to face. And, I th and so here, I think, are the four fundamental commitments of what it means to believe in the Trinity. Firstly, that God is one. The God we know is the one witnessed to in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, and by the people of the Bible. Okay, commitment two, God is three. The one God exists in a multiplicity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Commitment three, God is a diversity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit differentiate themselves from each other in terms of roles or what we might call personhood. So let me explain that a little bit. Uh, one of the people that's influenced me a lot is this theologian named Stanley Grins, and he puts it like this, because he talks about that, we, and we mentioned this earlier, that God the Father does some things, God the Spirit does some things, and, and God the Son does some things, and um, that they basically have different roles or functions. And so that's when we talk about the personhood of God, that's really what we're talking about in their center of consciousness, or really what their function is in the world, what they're doing. So the Father functions, what Grins says, is the Father functions as the ground of the world and of the divine program for creation. Okay, the God the Father is the reason the world exists. That's what he says. The Son functions as the revealer of God. You know, Jesus says, those who have seen me have seen the Father. So Jesus functions as the revealer of God and the exemplar and herald of the Father's will for his creation. And also as the redeemer. 
so the savior of humanity. And the spirit functions as the personal divine power active in the world and the completer of God's divine will and program. So, you know, we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? That the Holy Spirit is the way God is personalized for humanity, for humans. It's the way God's power works in your life is in the Holy Spirit. Quick yeah. question. What was the name of the, of the guy that had those three kind of... Yeah, his name's Stanley Grins, G-R-E-N-Z. He's got a big book called Theology for the Community of God. And um, his book, and, and really this is, a, this is a major theme of the last, starting, starting in the 20th century, so last hundred and change years, is a return to the centrality of the Trinity for our understanding of God. And so Stanley Grins's book is a Trinitarian theology for the sake of the church. So uh, it's basically like, if this is who God is, what does that mean for us? And um, that's what we're going to talk about next. But lastly, the fourth commitment is God is a unity. The divine life is defined by cooperation among the three members of the Trinity. Okay. So what's the practical application? So God is one, God is three, God's a diversity, and God is unity. So this is, this is why people really latched on to the, to the idea of the Trinity, because if that's, who God is, if that's who God is, so if God has eternally been in this perfect relationship, this perfect community, okay, <clears throat> when we say God is love, which is biblical, we are describing the nature of God in community. What we're not, we're not saying is God is loving, although that would also be true. We're saying that the nature of God is love. And so how can we say the nature of God is love, right, if he, if he has not for all eternity had others to love? Um, we would not say God is love <clears throat> if he had to create the world in order to love, okay? Because that would mean that God's nature preceded his ability to love. You follow? Because he didn't have objects to love. But we can say God is love if God has always been in this perfect community of love. So that's the nature of God. So that's what we mean when we say that. <clears throat> and so when we are, you know, we become Christians... And we go back to Colossians 3, and then our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That's what we're talking about. Like the, That's how I experience the love of God, okay? Because it exists between these three persons, and what Jesus makes possible by his death and resurrection is our inclusion into that sphere of love, or triangle of love, or however you want to look at it. This also speaks to the value of Christian community. So if God has existed for all eternity in community, who are we as God's people to think we can go it alone? 
And so the, the challenge here is like be a part of Christian community because the nature of God is community. And from God's nature, we get our identity. And from our identity comes our purpose. And so if God has been in community forever, we should be. So I encourage you to be part of a church family. And then lastly, what we see in the Trinity is a really beautiful image of unity and diversity. Um, because though they share the same essence, they're three persons. They're, they're doing different things, they have different roles, and yet they're united. And that unity is perfect. There's no flaw in that unity. And so it speaks to, you know, in Ephesians um, 2, what we see is the, the blood of Christ, so the, the death of Jesus Christ, makes possible the, the reconciliation or peace, is a word that's used, between Jew and Gentile, okay, between groups of people that were separate from each other. And what you see if you look at Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 is the big mystery of God is that ultimately everything's going to be reconciled, or ultimately there's going to be um, the ultimate unity and diversity. Ultimately, all things will be united, even though all things are different. You, Kyle and I are different, right? Soleil and I are different. Ultimately, all things will be united, even though we're different. So we see in Ephesians 2 is like the unity of these two groups reflects this bigger mystery of how all diverse things are ultimately going to come together, you know, from the trees and the birds to, you know, the people and, you know, the angels and powers, like everything is going to be brought together. Okay, well, why is that? Well, because God is in, in some sense like this vortex of perfect unity and diversity that's drawing everything towards that, his nature. Um, so I'll read this quote. Do you have a quote at the end of yours? Is that it? That's what you got? Okay. This is Grins. He's got this great quote that I'll end with and I'll take any questions. Because God is the social trinity, a plurality in unity, so it's that unity diversity, the ideal for humankind does not focus on solitary persons, but on persons in community. God intends that we reflect his nature in our lives. And this is only possible, however, as we move out of our isolation and into relationships with others. The ethical life, so the good life, therefore, is life in relationship or life in community. And so, um, you know, we see this in marriages, right? That marriages reflect the glory of God. Well, why is that? Okay, Partly because Jesus is this perfect, or not Jesus, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are this perfect relationship. Right? So we want our relationships to reflect that as well. We see it in Christian community where diverse people come together. Why? Okay, because we're reflecting the nature of God who's diverse and comes together and is reconciled. And so um, that's, that's like the implication of the Trinity, I would say. Why do we love people? Well, because we exist hidden in the love of God between God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So we want to extend that to others in the same way. Okay, well, Again, it's kind of like Lost, but um, your parents can make sense of it. Let's do some, let's do some questions.